0: Hi, everyone. So the reading tonight is from Hebrews 10, verse 19. A call to persevere in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, And, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, A recently friend of mine told me a story about how he invited his grandma to church with him. Uh, He doesn't go to this church, he goes to another church in Sydney, an Anglican church, and um, it would be a church that, even though it's different in denomination, in most other ways it would be exactly like our church. So the, the meetings would look very similar to what we do on a Sunday morning. Uh, and his grandma had grown up in church as a young person, uh, and when she was about maybe 20, she kind of stopped going to church and still, still wore the label of Christian, but didn't really practice her faith at all. And so he thought it was really important to invite her to church, so he, inv- he built up the courage and invited her to come along with him. And she said yes. So he went and picked her up on the, his way to church. They went to the service. Uh, they sat through the service together. Afterwards, they hung around for a little bit to chat. And then he got in the car with her and drove her home. And she, on the way home, she said nothing uh, about the church service. It was kind of like this awkward silence. And so he finally built up the courage to, to say to her, what did you think of church? And he said that she, she kind of just smugly um, scoffed, huh, darling, that wasn't real church she said. And my friend, he didn't really even know how to react to that. He kind of just was like, uh, I don't even know what to say. Um, and I think the thing is that she she was, from her point of view, she was expressing that it was a little bit different from what she was used to, right? Like, she was kind of questioning whether it was an authentic church because uh, maybe it was different from her experience as a young girl. Maybe Maybe she was used to a kind of common book of prayer style of service where there's lots of standing up and sitting down and and calling and responding and and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, Maybe it was just the fact that they were sitting on uncomfortable chairs and when she was used to wooden pews or something like that. But for some reason, she questioned the veracity or the validity of that church. And I I find that an interesting story because it makes you ask the question, what is a real church? If, that's, if, if she doesn't think that that's church, then what, what is real church? Like, what is the purpose of church? What is this gathering that we do on a Sunday? What is that about? What is that for? I think that's a really important question to ask. And I think when you look over the history of the church, uh, the way that the people, God's people have gathered has looked quite different over a long period of time, hasn't it? You think 500 years ago, it looked very different from what we do here. A thousand years ago, even different still. So the question that I have this evening is, what is church for? What is church for? What is the purpose of church? We uh, continue through our, our series where we can think about some of the convictions that this church has about the Sunday gathering. And tonight, that's the one we're going we're to think about what church is for. We're going to think about this idea of edification Uh, We'll come back to that in a little bit. But we're going to have a look at that passage in Hebrew. So if you've got your Bible in front of you, that'll be very helpful for you. Um, Also, if you happen to grab the sermon outline, um, this is something that we're trying to do more often so that you can kind of see where we're going and um, hopefully take notes uh, from our sermons. So have that in front of you because that'll help you. But what what is church for? The first thing I want to say is what church is not for, which might seem like a strange place to start. But I think that's where the the writer of Hebrews starts. And I want to say that church is not for access to God's presence. Okay? Church is not the place where you meet with God in any different sort of way than you could meet Him anywhere else. Hebrews is a very helpful book because Hebrews clarifies the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, one thing that Hebrews clarifies is the way that we access God now that we live in the. New Covenant time, the time after jesus 's life, because in the, Old Test- in the Old Testament, when you wanted to access God, there was a system there was a process that you had to go through. First, you had to go to the temple that was at Jerusalem, and you would approach the temple, and the way that you could gain access to God there is that you would have to um, go through the sacrificial system. so you would bring an animal and you would take it to the priest, and the priest would kill the animal. Um, And that that was in some way a temporary forgiveness of your sins because the animal kind of died in your place. Uh, But there was this whole system that you had to go through if you wanted to access God in the Old Testament. Hebrews comes along and says, that's the way that things were. But now things are different because now we have Jesus and Jesus is our great high priest. We don't need somebody to mediate God's presence to us apart from him. Hebrews says that not only do we have Jesus as our great high priest, he's also our once and for all sacrifice. There is no more sacrifice that we need to make. Jesus has taken our sins away from us, past sins, present sins, and the sins that you haven't yet committed. He is our once for all sacrifice. And through him we have complete forgiveness, which means that we have complete access into God at all times. That's what Hebrews says. I think this is really beautifully portrayed Um, when the gospel writers talk about it. They say when Jesus was on the cross, it says that he breathed his last. And then they take take us over to the temple and they say in the temple when Jesus died on the cross, the the veil in the temple that separated God's presence from everyone else was torn from the top to the bottom. And all of a sudden God's presence through Jesus' death is accessible anywhere at any time. That's what Hebrews has to tell us. Have a look just at the verses we just read. Verse 19 uh, through to 22. It says, "'Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings.' having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. With Jesus, we have access to God. That is what the writer of Hebrews reminds us. So, so I don't know if you remember, uh, Elijah, there's a video there that you could press play. Uh, tell me if you remember this sound um, as it plays over the speakers. Some of you will probably have a better memory of it than others. <laughs> yeah, Janine knows it, yeah, Style dial-up internet, right, yeah, all of the youth age kids over here is like, what is this terrible and annoying thing that he's playing, um, thank you, that's enough, we can't, can't cope anymore. But this is how we used to access the internet. I don't know if you remember this. I remember the first time I ever used the internet. I was at Hornsbury Library. It was 1997. Uh, I I went on the internet and I looked up um, movies on the International Movie Database. First time I acted. But I remember doing this. I remember you have to... The way that you access the internet in the old days is that you had to firstly be plugged into... Um, like, was it the Ethernet or something like that? You had to be plugged in, and then you had to go onto your desktop, and you had to click on the dial-up thing. And then this tone would play for about 30 seconds, and then after that, you could have the Internet at its terribly slow pace. Right? Do you remember this? Yeah, it was very, very, very frustrating. And then the beautiful day came along when this thing called Wi-Fi was introduced. And all of a sudden, the veil was torn in two. And and we all have access to the internet wherever we go now, right? We can just whip out our phones and just start to Google stuff right there and then, unless we're on Vodafone, and then we still struggle. But the rest of us have access to the internet because of Wi-Fi. This is what's happened through Jesus. He has superseded the old system. We used to have this really narrow process to access God, but through Jesus, now we have access to God everywhere. Everywhere. Because he lives in us through his spirit if we are believers. I think this is actually a really important part of our discussion today. When we're talking about what church is for, it's important to realize church is not for access to God. Jesus is our access to God. We don't, come, we don't grow closer to God when we come into this room or into any other room, for example. For Christians, there is no mecca. There is no geographical location, no sacred temple, no, no, no holy place that's more special than anywhere else in the world. Whether it be uh, the Holy Land itself, or whether it be um, Notre Dame Cathedral, or any conference that you like to attend to on an annual basis, or whether it be 13 Grenfell Avenue, North Narrabeen. There is no holy place that is more special than any other for accessing God. Because our access to God doesn't come through a location, it comes through a person. It's not temporary, it's permanent. And we have our access to God through Jesus. Now, for some of you, that might actually come as a bit of a surprise. It might come to you as a bit of a surprise. And as you think about it, you might think, well, doesn't that diminish the value of our time gathered together? Doesn't that lessen the value of coming to church in the first place? Well, actually, I think the author of Hebrews, he says it does the exact opposite of that. He talks about this access to God that we have through Jesus, and he says that is the reason that we should be gathering together. Keep reading in the verses in front of you. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. For the writer of Hebrews, this is why we should gather together. Because we have this access to God through Jesus, we should gather together so that we can spur each other on in that faith, in the staying in Jesus. That's what he wants us to be gathered to do. So this is the second part of my talk, the section that says, What is church? What church is for? Um, We need to think for a moment about this word, church. Uh, Church, if if we're going to have a good understanding of what church is, we need to understand the, the word the way that the New Testament uses it. We can use church to mean a building or a service or something like that. In the New Testament, church is a gathering. It's literally an assembly. It's the same word that was used for an assembly. It's just a bunch of people together. So if you go home and you watch a sermon online by yourself... You might think that that's church, but it's actually not. It's, it's by definition not church, because there's just you. Even if you watch a church service online by yourself, you might think you're attending church, but you're not, because you're by yourself, because church is when Christians get together. So if church is a gathering, I wonder, I wonder what, you, what kind of gathering you think church is similar to. Maybe you think uh, church is a little bit like going to the cinema, Uh, where you kind of all come together and you sit facing the same way and you're just waiting to be entertained, right? Or maybe you think church is a bit like a lecture theatre. You come along and you just want to be educated. Maybe you think church is a bit like a football game where you get together and you sing songs to support your team or something like that. Or maybe you think church is a bit like a dinner party where you get together and you just chit-chat about what's going on in your life. Or you catch up on the small talk. But I don't actually think church, when we come down to it, I don't think that's actually what church is. It's not like any of those things. If you ask me to say, what, what is one gathering of people that I think church is most similar to? The image that's been in my mind this week is that church is most similar to a construction site where people are coming together to work together to build something. Church is most similar to a construction site. It's a group of people coming together to build something. And I actually want to show you, that is, I think, quite literally what Paul meant when he talked about church. He talked about you coming together to build something. So we're going to hop around in the New Testament a little bit now. But firstly, the first thing I want you to notice is that in this passage in Hebrews, um, there's certainly an aspect of it where church is about people doing something together. It's not just one person doing something and everyone else kind of just watching. It's actually everyone together. Remember, it says, let us spur one another on. Let us continue to meet together, encouraging one another. And then if you go over to 1 Corinthians 14, don't bother flipping there because we're going to have it on the screen. But if you go there, I think Paul gives you a really, really clear picture of um, this concept of church being a construction site. Just just a heads up before we read this, um, this comes in the context, Paul's explaining to the Corinthian church uh, what they should be doing when they gather together. And the particular problem for them is that there are people who are practicing some spiritual gifts in um, unhelpful ways, Uh, particularly prophecy and and the gift of um, speaking in tongues. Now, it's really easy to get bogged down in those details and to kind of wonder about those two things, but for the sake of our purposes tonight, just Just All you need to know about those two things is, firstly, prophecy is something that is understandable because it is spoken in words that everyone understands. Tongues, on the other hand, is not understandable because it's spoken in words that not everyone understands. And basically, that's all you need to know before we read these passages. Hopefully, that'll help you to make sense of it. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy... And the automatic question is, why? He says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, I think it's the reason I underlined and highlighted that word edified is because um, it's the title of the sermon tonight, and I think a lot of us don't actually know what that word means. So (laughs) I was telling a lot of people, a lot of people said, oh, what are you preaching about on Sunday? I'd say, I'm preaching about edification. And they kind of just nod and then hope that I wouldn't ask them anything about it. Because I think it's one of those words we... we, we're probably, you know, we think we probably should know what it means, but we don't really know what it means. So let me give you just a really helpful way of thinking about this idea of edification. That word Paul uses, um, that's translated edified there, it is the same word that would have been used of a construction site. It's, it, it literally means to build up. And so when Jesus says, don't build your house on the sandy land, he uses that exact same word. It just means to build something. And so Paul says that he wants you to, uh, so he wants the church to be built up. And then if you have a look at verse 12 in the same chapter, he says a similar thing again. He says, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church, those that, the gifts that construct the church, the gifts that edify the church. And then at the end, or toward the end of the chapter, um, he gives these kind of conclusion on the matter. So verse 26, he says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. For Paul, the measuring rod of whether something should or should not happen when the church is gathered together is whether or not it is edifying. If people are built up by it, then we'll do it. If it's not helpful for building people up, then we will not do it. That's basically Paul's mentality here. Now, you might ask the question, we're building up toward what? What is this thing that we're building up towards? Like, essentially, what are we building? And I think Paul elsewhere would answer that question by saying, we're building up toward Christ's likeness Together, when this community of people gathers together, we together are building each other so that we would be more like Jesus individually and as a community that's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4 on the screen again so speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up that's the same word as each part does its work so really, this, this gives us a really helpful framework for what we should be doing in church. The, the basic question that it all boils down to is, does it build people up or not? And for us, the, the pastors and the elders and the, the church council over the past few months, this has been the, the driving force for a lot of the decisions that we have made. We keep asking this question, what is, what is, the, what is the best thing for building up the church? What is the thing that's going to be most helpful for this church, this body of people to be together? So it's the question, you know, should we ask the question, should we preach longer sermons or shorter sermons? Uh, What is going to be best for building up? Should we have interviews in church or should we sing 10 songs? Should we sing three songs? Should we collect the offering during the service? Should we allow for more time of fellowship by shortening the service? Uh, Should we sit by ourselves or should we sit together together? I think you can answer a lot of these questions by thinking about what is actually best for building up the Christians toward, Jesus Christ, toward the likeness of Jesus. Is it edifying? Does it build the church up? Just to focus in on one change in particular, the idea of having a shorter evening service um, is not just because we don't, we're so worried that your short attention span will be ruined, um, The reason we want to have a shorter evening service is because we want you to have time before the service and after the service where you can be building each other up. Because we see that actually that time before and after the service can be some of the most valuable time that you have at church. Just be honest with me for a moment here. How many of you have had the experience of a conversation that you've had before church or or after church being more edifying than the sermon that you heard that day, or, or the songs that you sang, or, or anything like that? Yeah, a couple of you are, are sheepishly putting your hands up, but I think the answer is most of us have had that experience, and that's, that's nothing to be embarrassed of. Don't, don't sheepishly put your hand up. Like, it's, it's fine, because that is what the church gathers to do. We edify each other. We build up each other. It's not my job up here to be the sole edifier and builder of all of you. This is something we're actually meant to participate in together. And so that decision to have time after the service so that we can be together for longer, that was a very intentional decision. We want you to build into each other. We want you to grow together. We think that that time after the service is some of the most valuable time that we have. So how do we actually do that? It's all well and good to to get up here and to kind of go, this is the way that it should be, this is the way that it should be, and then to kind of just go, all right, off you go and do it. But um, I want to give you some helpful tips for how you could actually have these kinds of um, edifying conversations where you're gathering around God's word together in the way that you talk to each other. Let me give you some helpful steps. If you're still using your outline, this is the bit called Questions I Could Ask People. So you could firstly, on your way to church, pray that God would use you to be an encouragement to someone. Pray that he would use you to build somebody else up. And also just pray for opportunities to do it. And then I think after that, that one of the easiest ways to do it is to just kind of bounce off what has been said in the sermon. Um, and I would, I would encourage you to, to do that, but try not to ask a question like, so what did you think of the sermon? Because I think what that question does is it invites people to give kind of like a, it was good, it was bad, it was, it was too long, it was too short sort of a response, right? Instead of asking a question like that, why not ask something a bit more, um, a bit more uh, with a bit more depth to it? So maybe, you know, if you're taking notes during the sermon, um, which I'm trying to plug as much as possible, you could whip this out just after the service and be like, oh, that was, that was a really interesting point. Um, and then you could go and have a conversation afterwards. I really found it interesting when the preacher said this, um, or I I was really challenged by that. What did you think? Have a conversation about the sermon. Or perhaps you want to have a conversation with someone about a particular song that we sang that resonated with you, or a prayer that was prayed that really resonated with you. One, One of those sorts of things. Another thing that you might do is you might ask the question, what has God been teaching you lately? What has God been teaching you lately? Imagine. Imagine asking that question. Uh, maybe it's something that you've been learning through your day-to-day experience as you kind of walk through this messy and complicated life, trying to fixate your life on Jesus, and you, you just God's taught you something in that process. Maybe it's something that you've read in your personal Bible reading, or maybe it's something that you've learned at your community group. What has God been teaching you lately? You could ask that question to someone. Another question that I think is really um, edifying is how is it that you became a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at morning church and um, Alan and Karen Brocklebank were there. That's Daniel and Sophie's parents. And um, da- Alan Brocklebank, he just asked me that question. He said, Daniel, I've never asked you before how did you become a Christian? And, and then I answered him. I told him how I became a Christian. And then I said the same thing to him. Oh, how, how did you become a Christian, Alan? And then how did you become a Christian, Karen? And for about 20 minutes, we sat on the deck. And we just, it was such an encouraging conversation. Such an easy question to ask. So many of us have amazing stories of God's grace and how we actually have come to faith. It's, encru- it's encouraging. Sharing that with other people is, is really encouraging. People will feel built up by that kind of a conversation. Another question that you could ask is, is, how can I be praying for you this week? How can I be praying for you this week? It's just a really easy one. And then if you're feeling really brave, you can not just tell them that you're going to pray for them, but, but just pray for them right then and there. Put your hand on their shoulder and, and pray a prayer with them. Hopefully the opportunity to be edified in your faith is enough incentive that you want to, you want to try this. Hopefully just the very idea of doing this right is enough incentive for you to want to try it. But I realize at the same time that having these kinds of conversations doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come very easily. So let me just finish by saying three, three challenges that I think we need to stare straight in the face if we're actually going to do this as a community. And if you're using the outline, it is the last thing. <laughs> the first challenge is, firstly, you're going to have to just squash typical Australian culture in these kinds of conversations. Because let me address the elephant in the room. We do not typically talk about anything of any depth in our conversations with each other, right? Like, I don't know if you've noticed that, but Australians love to, we, we, we have that expression, don't talk about politics or religion. And we, we just feel like talking about God in normal conversation feels a bit uncomfortable, right? We, we, and so we, we just don't venture that far. Any any mention of God, it kind of feels like you're, you're really making the other person in the conversation uncomfortable. And the thing about this is that we, we, we don't have any conversations of any depth, but then we complain when we don't have any relationships of any depth. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of talk in the media about how there's people who, you know, people just don't have real friendships, they don't have vulnerable friendships, they don't have authentic friendships and relationship with people. It's all very shallow, But the reason I think for that is because people aren't willing to talk about things of any depth. If you're not willing to talk to your Christian brothers and sisters about the God that you worship with them, then I think there's something wrong there. And that's actually, I think that's probably going to be the most difficult thing that we need to address. We just need to be comfortable with these kinds of conversations. We need to get used to having these kinds of conversations with people. It might not come at easy at first, but I think the more you do it, the easier it will come. So try to have those kinds of conversations. Let me give you license. At the end of the service today, um, you you'll be feeling like you probably should put some of this stuff into practice. Let me give you license to be a little bit awkward in your conversations. Everyone else in the room, please be patient with the awkward person, okay? Because this is probably what we're all going to be like after this. We're not going to know how to do it, how to do it, but we're going to have a try anyway. Thank you. The other thing that I wanted to say. And the second challenge that I think will stand in the way of us doing this right is just being so me centered. Individualism. We live, with, individualism is the air that we breathe in, the, in this Western world that we live in. How, what is in it for me? That is the mantra of individualism. That is the mantra of our society around us. What is in it for me? And if you come to church with a what is in it for me kind of mentality, then you will just sit there and consume. And then if you like it, you might hang around. But if you don't like it, then you'll be out. And so you're, 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 at the end of the service, you're just kind of, what did I get out of that? Just that consumer mentality. And that comes from our individualism. But the reality is that we should not be individualistic. We are a body of Christ purchased by Jesus' blood together. There's no reason for us to be individualistic. We need to be others-oriented. And sweep away individualism. And do you know what's really interesting about this? Is that we, we come to church and we want to get something out of it. Um, and so we, we kind of come with a consumer mentality. But the Bible actually tells us that when you come with a consumer mentality, you gain nothing. But when you come with a service mentality, you actually gain everything. It's one of the weird upside down sorts of things about the kingdom of God, right? Jesus said, whoever wants to gain their life will lose it. Yeah, it's upside down. Jesus also said, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Things work backwards in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, that means that if you want to be blessed, the best way that you can be blessed is by giving. It is more blessed to give than receive. Can I encourage you to to trust God when he says that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? The last one I just want to point out is that this, I think, will just be daunting. To have this kind of a conversation, this kind of a community is, is just daunting. You might like the idea that this is a place you can come to and just consume. That might, just suit, that might suit you just fine. And all this talk of, of contributing and building and coming with a construction mentality, might sound really daunting and difficult to you. And can I just at that point say, I know what you mean. Because I think that you know as well as I do that when you enter into a relationship with someone, when you're vulnerable with someone, you're opening up yourself to hurt. And so if we want to be a community that is vulnerable, if we want to be a community that's in relationship, we are opening up ourselves to hurt. I know that. And that is daunting. But I think that the value of it is far greater than the cost. There's something that Jesus said about his church that I find great comfort in. He, he actually only ever used the word church twice in the Gospels. Interesting fact. One of the things that Jesus says is he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here I come tonight and I say to you all, we are about building the church. It is on you. You as a part of the church should be here to build the church. But then Jesus gives us a really, really helpful reminder. He will build his church. And he will build it because it is his church. No one is more invested in this building, in this group of people, not probably not this building, but this group of people than Jesus Christ. He loves the people in here more than anyone possibly could. And so he says, I will build my church, which I think for us should be an encouragement. If this seems like a daunting task for you, know that you don't go into it alone. Jesus will work through you. He will give you the energy. He will give you the motivation. He will help you to do this. So let me encourage you to be on mission for Jesus as we build this church together, making disciples of Jesus together. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you have purchased us by your blood. Thank you that we have access um, to the very throne room of God through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we gather together. Help us to be a church that is on about building up each other. Help us to have our construction mentality on when we come into church, Lord. And please continue to remind us that you are at work in us as we do this for each other. Amen.